Let's see if that's any better. Is that better? Should I start over? I'm sorry. I apologize. But our desire is that we would see the Word of God central in our worship, central in our homes, central in our lives. We study the Word of God together so that we might learn Him, that we might know Him, that we might seek and learn truth, that we might find direction for our lives. Today I'm inviting your attention to Psalm 19. I really believe that we needed to stay on this course and move toward Easter thinking about the significance of the Word of God in our lives. Oh, we could have spent time looking at the the Palm Sunday stories, looking at the, the triumph and entry, but I believe as we move toward Easter that we need to see the importance of the Bible in our midst. And so in Psalm 19, we see an incredible picture of why we should study the Word of God. I invite your attention there, and I also invite you, if you would, to stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There are great reward in keeping them. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule over me. Then I will be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would add blessing to the reading of your word and that we would have understanding and illumination by your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this day. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, I talked to you about how to handle the word of God. We talked about hearing it and reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating upon it and applying it to our lives. And this week, I want to ask a different question. Not how do we handle the Word of God, but why do we handle the Word of God? Why is it? What are the benefits of studying the Word of God, of seeking after the truth that is written in the Word? Well, I want us to go back very simply to the language of the video. God wrote a book. That's all we need to say about that. 
God wrote a book. God who created everything and in his infinite wisdom not only created us but communicated with us. That ought to bring us to our knees. It ought to create goosebumps or God bumps or whatever you call them. They, they should chase themselves up and down our arms when we stop and think that God wrote a book. The, the simple point of this text is this. Because the scriptures are the word of God, they are the word of the Lord, then they communicate, uh, and the communication and revelation of the living God, they have effects on us that are better than any of the effects of anything else that we can read or study, or watch, or listen to. The Word of God has benefit that transcends anything this world has to offer. Would you agree with that statement? The Word of God is so fundamentally important to us because it is God's Word, and we come to know God through His Word. And as we read here the words of the psalmist, we see the revelation of God in two very specific ways. We know these. We've talked about them before in Bible fellowship and in sermons. God has revealed himself generally through all of nature. He's revealed himself through the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the beaches, the mountains. All of the glory of creation cries out uh, praises to our God. Now, the things that he's revealed to us leave us without excuse. No man can look at those things and say there is no God. And yet, if that was all we had to know of God, we would be in a lurch because God has not revealed to us through general revelation what we need to do to be saved. He has specifically spoken to us through his word. And aren't you grateful that God communicates? God spoke to us through his son, the living word. God spoke to us through his word written for us, for our salvation. And we started there last week and said, faith comes by hearing. We are saved by the word of God. We understand what it means to be saved only because of the message of the gospel that is given to us through the word. And here the psalmist lays out for us a picture of both general and specific revelation. We see in the first seven verses a beautiful picture of how creation simply displays the glory of God. How the sun and the moon and the heat of the sun, nothing is hidden from those things. But our focus today is in verses 7 and beyond as we look at specific revelation. As we look at that which is obtained not through nature but through history. I want to remind you of this statement as we move into our text. Christianity is not based in philosophy. It's not something that someone can go upon a mountain and, and contemplate and come up with. No, Christianity is uniquely different from every other religious system because it's based in history, not in philosophy. It's based on a historical event. Jesus Christ leaving heaven, coming to earth, living a sinless life, dying a vicarious death for you and for me and rising victoriously on our behalf so that we might have life. You can't go on a mountain and make that up. You can't go on a mountain unless God revealed it to you and he has revealed that through his word. And so for us today, we begin to say, what is the, the focus of studying the Bible? Why study his word? Because when we study his word, we learn uh, that his word is his voice and his voice is his heart and his heart is drawn closer to our heart you see one of the unique things is this when I study his word by studying it I learn that when we study it we draw closer to God 
and it is a cycle that grows closer and closer. And, and yet, I, I don't think we can look past the, the general revelation and, and, and not all uh, find ourselves inspired and awe and wonder there. I, I think sometimes we are so used to uh, the Bibles that we have around. We are so comfortable with the Bibles that we have around. I, I read this past week uh, that 85%, I'm not sure how they came to this conclusion, but some 85% of American homes have Bibles in them. There are 114 million U.S. households. They also concluded that there were about four and a half Bibles per home on average, if you look at it. And I would suggest that that's probably real because we've got far north of four Bibles in our home. I don't know about you, but there's usually one in the car, several in the office, some in the study, some in the bedroom, some in the living room. They're all around. If that's the case, that that means that there are 436 million Bibles in America. And if there are 436 copies of the book that God wrote, wouldn't you suspect that this nation would be a God-fearing nation? Wouldn't you suspect that this nation would be a moral nation? Wouldn't you suspect that this nation would be a nation filled with people longing to worship God, filling houses of worship all over the place? Wouldn't you suspect? Is that the case of what we see in the moral climate around us? Certainly not. So what's the point? I think we've missed the significance of the Word of God. I think we've lost a reverence for the Scripture. Stop for a moment and just think about the majestic splendor of all nation, all nature crying out. This is a beautiful poem Brent Earls wrote. He just began to try to encapsulate this idea that the stars are God's fingerprints. The sun is a mere smidgen of His radiance. The moon is there to remind us that He doesn't sleep at night. The vastness of space proclaims the infinity of his wisdom. When the sand pebble indicates his thoroughness with every puny detail. Listen to these words. The lion hints at the fearlessness of God. The bear at his power. The hawk at his keen insight. And yet those possess only a tidbit of God's omnipotence and omnipresence. Every tree points toward heaven. Every bird has a song to sing. Even every moment of wind uh, goes in some direction. There's nothing chaotic about our beautifully designed world. All creation has a message to tell, and here is that message. Listen, there is a God. Listen, there is a God. Put your ear to the ground. Put your ear to the wind. Put your eye to the mountains and see there is a God. As we think about the general revelation that points to this majestic God, it want to bring us to an absolute place of complete and total stop, pause, reflection, that that God would actually speak. Beyond the wind, beyond the mountains, beyond the sun, the moon, the stars, He has spoken to us through His Word. Now, what are the benefits of studying this Word? I want to give you five benefits very simply today of the Bible. I hope I've at least whet your appetite at some level for the power and the magnificence of the Word of God. And it comes from our text as we see these things. But we do miss the blessing so very often. I, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Can you imagine what the angels must think as they look down and see how quickly we run to Facebook before we open our Bibles? 
Can you imagine what the angels must think as they look at the savvy businessman who picks up the stock report from the newspaper before he opens his Bible? Can you imagine how they weigh out the infinite wealth that is found in Scripture and not in that stock report? We have missed the value. It's, I'll give you one more poem. This is one that came from a great theologian named Heidi Hanbury. She gave me this poem this week. The poem is called Smart, and it's about values. Listen to these words. My dad gave me a $1 bill because I'm his smartest son. I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is greater than one. And then I took the three quarters and traded them to Lou for three dimes. I guess he doesn't know that three is greater than two. Just then along came old Blind Bates and just because he can't see, he gave me four nickels for my three dimes and four is more than three. I took the nickel, nickels to Hiram Coombs down at the seed feed store and that old fool gave me five pennies for them because five is more than four. And then I went and showed my dad, and he got red in the cheeks and closed his eyes and shook his head, too proud of me to speak. Some of us have traded a dollar for mere pennies when it comes to the things that we listen to and look to. All the while, the Word of God sits closed on a shelf, on a dashboard, on an app. What are the benefits of studying the Bible? Go back with me to the text, and let's just simply pick up and read together. Verse 7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The very first benefit is this, Scripture offers life. Scripture offers life. It's the first thing David mentions because it's the basis of everything else. We are given eternal life through the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I love that. It says, or to refresh the soul. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I would say it this way. We as a church are longing to prevail in prayer, but you know why some people don't pray? Because they're dead spiritually. Dead people don't prevail in prayer. Think about that with me. Scripture brings life. When people are saved, you don't have to tell saved people to go witness. You just fan the flame and so go get them. They, saved people talk about Jesus. Saved people pray to Jesus. Saved people pour out their hearts in prayer because they understand. Now, if your prayer life is not what it should be, I'm not telling you that you're dead, but I would say check your pulse. If you have no appetite for the Word of God and no desire to pray to God, then check your spiritual pulse. For us as a church family, it is vitally important that we recognize the power and life that comes from the Word because the Gospel is the Word of God. What a great benefit. Dead people don't prevail in prayer. And yet the Word of God refreshes us, it says here. It brings life. The New Living Translation and the English Standard Version say it. It revives our soul. It's refreshing to our soul. I don't know how else to explain refreshing there, but to say that in a few weeks it's going to get hot around here. Now some of you are saying, I can't even comprehend that. We knew we would get an Easter snap and then turn off cold again, and the azaleas that bloomed yesterday will freeze today, but they'll be back, I promise. But there's something about a day of 90-degree weather with 140% humidity, and you get a good, cold glass of iced tea. 
Nothing more refreshing. The picture of a cool artesian spring bubbling up. And Jesus, when he met the woman at the well, talked about living water. The word is for us that kind of refreshment. It brings life. The law of the Lord revives the soul. God has made it the means of life, and without it we perish. Dead people don't prevail in prayer. Number two, I want you to see this straight from the next verse. Scripture offers wisdom. Look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. I would say uh, along the lines of life, you cannot maintain a dynamic, powerful, vibrant life in God if you neglect the Word. And I would say here, you will not pursue right things if you are foolish. Foolish people don't pursue right things. But the Word of God gives us direction. The Word of God gives us the, the clear path of where we should go. Parents, if you're struggling with what to help your children to do and not do, take them to the Word. Invest your life in the Word. If you're looking for direction for your business, if you're looking for direction for your marriage, look no further than the Word of God. I have heard so often preachers that have stood in pulpits and given 12 different ideas to have a happy, healthy marriage. I'll tell you, if you want to have a happy, healthy marriage, love Jesus more than you love your spouse, and Jesus will teach you to love your spouse. That doesn't mean that we can't give practical advice, and the Word is filled with it. But our hearts ought to be so in tune with the Word of God that we recognize that it is the source of wisdom. Foolish people don't pursue right things. God's laws help us to know the correct way to go. Think about this. As a parent, you give your children rules, not for their damage, not for to take away fun from them, but you give them rules so that they might choose the best path. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say this about answered prayers and about the Word of God leading us. When God tells you no, He's not trying to be a cosmic killjoy. He's saying to you, don't hurt yourself. I know what's best, and that's not good for you. When God says yes to you, He's saying, help yourself. And when God says wait, He's saying, my timing is better than anything you could get right now. You're not ready. So for us, we need to understand that wisdom means waiting on God because He knows best, and He's revealed that to us in and through His Word. Number three, Scripture offers joy. It offers life, it offers wisdom, but Scripture offers joy. I would say it this way, miserable people don't find progress in the right spirit. Have you ever found that person in your life, that, that you're afraid to ask them how they're doing. I, I don't point to them if they're in this room. Don't even lean their way. Don't nod that way. Have you ever found yourself walking in one door and wanting to walk out the side door because you see them coming and you know they're going to tell you how bad things have been for their lives? Miserable people don't progress in the right spirit. People that stay in the Word of God cannot remain miserable for long unless they fight the Word. And in that case, they're not going to stay there. They're going to walk away from it. I, I don't think that there's any people in the world that possibly could have any greater reason for the joy that is ours in Christ but us because of the resurrection of Jesus. We have eternal hope springing up. 
We, there's no reason to ever be miserable. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation in the life of a Christian because we have confidence in His Word. His Word says very simply that precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. Joy springs from the Word, and Christians have so much reason for joy. We have so much opportunity, and unfortunately, many Christians start looking like a bunch of rules at the Word, and they say it's do's and don'ts, and the joy gets choked out of it. The Word of God is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a relationship that shows us the heart of God. Am I making sense to anyone this morning? I, I just, again, I, I felt that we could spend time with palm branches on the way into the city in Jerusalem as we think about Palm Sunday. But for me, I really believe that we as a church and we as a people and we as a nation desperately need to go back and instead of going back through stories that we have, have looked at with, with some sense of disdain and, and some sense of apathy, we needed to just go back and say, God, your word means everything to us. If your child was to run into your home and say, look, Mom, look, Dad, I found a Bible, it would mean very little. There was a day in the life of Israel when into the king's presence came an advisor who found the book of the law. And they stood and they listened from sun up till sundown at the word of God being read because it was being restored to its rightful place among the people of God. And I will tell you again, if your hope and my hope was hung on Super Tuesday or on the election, we are hopeless and helpless. But our hope is found in the word of God because it tells us that Jesus Christ saves. Jesus came into this world to save sinners, to seek and to save the lost, and that brings us great joy. Miserable people do not progress in the right spirit, and that moves us to the next place. If we see this, Scripture offers hope. Scripture brings us hope. Hopeless people don't persevere in hardship. Hopeless people don't persevere in hardship. Look at this with me, if you will, in verse 8. The precept of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. What a beautiful picture of hope. I don't know if your eyes have dimmed by all that's around you. I'm so tired of the political talk. I'm so tired of the pundits going on and on and on. In our house, when we turn it on, if the news is on, we've come to the place where we just say, what's on TV? And we say, it's more blah, blah about the blah, blah. And that's about what it sounds like. But my hope is secured far beyond an election. The hope for this nation will not be found in the White House. It will be found in the church house when the people of God restore the Word of God to the right place and the people of God move forward on their knees seeking God in the hope that He alone offers. Scripture offers hope. Hopeless people don't persevere in hardship, but I want you to hear this. Hope is not crossing our fingers and, and longing. Biblical hope, write these two words down, it's confident expectation. It's confident expectation. I have hope of the future events of the return of Jesus and of God setting up a wonderful, beautiful new heaven and new earth and eternity with him outside of, of his perfect kingdom will be 
uh, everything sinful will be cast out. There will be nothing left there that is disobedient to the king of kings. And I have confidence in that picture of the future as an expectation, not as a wishful hope, but as a confident expectation based on the word of God. Fifthly, I want you to see this. Scripture offers guidance. Scripture offers guidance. Straight from the word again, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. His ordinances are reliable and altogether righteous. He goes on in verse 10 to begin to tell how desirable they are. More than gold, more than abundance of pure gold, sweeter than honey which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them and there is great reward in keeping them. Directly from the text, we see that we have life and we have hope and we have guidance and we have joy that comes from the Word. If I could sum it up, I would say it this way in terms of God's guidance. The Word of God is like headlights on a car on a windy country road. Pitch black, dark, no street lights anywhere near. And as I follow them, I can't see the entirety of the road. I can't see what's way down there around this curve, this curve, and this curve. I can see this far ahead. And as I follow them, as I drive my car, the lights stay ahead and continue. The Bible said, your word is a lamp unto what? My feet. A light unto what? My path. And for you and for me, if we're going to receive continual guidance, we have to follow the light that God's given. So I would say this, are we obeying everything that we know God has called us to do? There's the application. The Spirit can take that message and scatter it through this place like seed into hearts. Maybe that you are at a, maybe you're at a place in your life where you're robbing God financially. His Word says, will a man rob God? But you're not giving him that which he is due. You're not honoring him with tithes and offerings. Maybe you're at a place where God has called you to witness to a neighbor and you've been silent, but his word says very clearly, you shall be my witnesses. If there's disobedience in our life, sin in our lives, idols in our hearts, then we're not following after that word and we're not going to get continued guidance. That's what amazes me when people come and they say, Pastor, I'm looking for God's will for my life. And I begin to look and say, are you following what he's already shared with you? The word of God gives guidance. And I would say it this way. Aimless people don't walk in purpose. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the Lord empty-handed. I don't want to go to heaven and say, Lord, you saved me and here I am. Lord, you saved me and you invested in me by giving me this infinitely valuable word, this priceless word, and this great commission. And I want to do all that I can in my days to bring people to heaven. I've jokingly said that when the rapture happens, I want to be standing around some lost people and I'm going to put two or three in headlocks and I'm going to hang on as we go up and I'll say, you better get saved or I'm letting go. I want to see people saved. How will it happen when we pray and ask God to do it? When we serve God faithfully? When we follow His guidance? When we place the Word of God in its rightful place in our lives and in this church? I, I, I would stay here as your pastor in this passage, in this line of thinking. We, we're going to talk about the resurrection next week. Oh, are we going to celebrate the resurrection together? It'll be a hallelujah good time as we think about the glorious resurrection of Jesus. 
But I felt like it was so fundamentally important for us to think again at the significance that God wrote a book. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your leadership in our lives. Oh God, may we submit ourselves to your word and to your way. Lord, if there's someone here today that is wandering without all of those benefits, they have no life, they're cut off spiritually. They have no joy. They find themselves miserable. They have no hope, no confident expectation of a future. They have no real guidance. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. It would be the appointed hour that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, for others, I pray that you've been working and leading and guiding them and saying that, that in their heart of hearts, they know they need to unite with this church family to be a part of what you're doing here at Hardy Street Baptist Church. God, I pray that you would um, just have your way during this time, that your spirit would just move freely and convict hearts as they're needed, and you would bless and encourage others as they are needing encouragement. Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As we do at the end of most of our services, we now have a time of decision, a time of invitation, where we're simply inviting you to respond to what you've heard. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you need to just fresh and new make a commitment. We don't worship the Word of God. We worship the God of the Word. But maybe you need to make a fresh commitment and say, Lord, I want to know you better through your Word. Help me. Help me.